All right, well, as we get started, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah chapter 2. You're going to find that on page 1688, at least in my Bible, I don't know what page is on yours, but just helpful in case you're looking in the same version I am. Uh, so earlier, I did mention, begin with this idea of why is Jonah not one of our heroes in the Bible, scriptures? You know, when we think about heroes in the faith, we think of people like David, Solomon, Elijah, uh, going to the New Testament, we think of people like Paul and Peter. You know, we, we have this list of men and, and women that we look at in the Bible of, these are people we want to be like. And in my years as a believer, in my years even as a pastor, I've never heard say, I want to be like Jonah. Right? Am I, am I off? Anybody here? Anything different? No, we don't. We very rarely say we want to be like Jonah is that? Why is Jonah not one of these people that we would say is our biblical hero? Well, as we look at the book of Jonah, it's no secret as we go through this entire book, uh, Jonah doesn't exactly live up to everything that God has asked him to do. In fact, it looks like for most of the time, he does the bare minimum that God asked him to do to get through. Uh, For much of Jonah's time, he is in rebellion against God. He doesn't listen to what God has asked him to do, that he actually runs away from God's call in his life. For much of this, Jonah is this grumpy Christian who lives his life going, I love Jesus, but I don't like much else. And as we Jonah, Jonah is not usually one of our heroes, primarily because of this, I believe. You and I are too much like Jonah to call him a hero. You and I live our lives in a way reflect everything that Jonah has gone through. God do something. And what is our first response? Are you sure you called the right person, Lord? When God has commanded us to go forth and do things, we say, but that's not convenient for me this week. When God has asked us to a certain way, we say, but do I have to? If these don't sound like things that your grandchildren and my child Perry says, like you, you should be surprised. We're all acting like children, just like Jonah. The reason Jonah's not our hero is too much like us for us to say we want to be like him. He lives our life in such a way that we act the exact So as we study this, as we look at Jonah, I want you to wrestle with, as we look at this story, every time we talk about Jonah's place in this story, I want you to insert yourself into that. When we talk about Jonah doing something, I want you to place yourself into Jonah's actions. When we talk about Jonah experienced this, Jonah prayed this, I want you to place yourself in that. Because here's the truth that I know as we study scriptures here. Jonah's story as he goes through the story of repentance, we all will walk this same path one day. We either have done it, we are in the middle of it, or we praise God perhaps will one day experience this repentance. And so each one of us is indeed a Jonah that he is a figure of us before the power of God, and that his responses in this section should characterize our response of repentance before the Lord. And so as we study the scriptures, perhaps today as we finish our time studying the scriptures, we could leave saying Jonah perhaps might indeed be worthy of the title of hero. Though he is not the hero of the story, he is perhaps a model of how we're to live our lives in view of Christ's sovereignty and his goodness to provide forgiveness to us. 
So as we begin with the text, we'll begin picking up in chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, this, uh, as Brian alluded to last week, is a part of uh, the story of Jonah in chapter 2, and I'll read the text for you. Beginning in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, and we're going to stop right here as we begin thinking through this passage. This begins to set the stage for where we are and where we're going here. Because as Jonah is praying here in the belly of the fish, he's recollecting his time in the water. Remember, he's been cast overboard by the sailors, and the sailors are sailing off the that Jonah has been thrown overboard. And Jonah is here in the water reflecting upon his state. The first thing that I think we need to begin to wrestle with as we read these verses is that we recognize that Jonah is honest about his sinful state. That you and I, wrestling with God, trying to determine where it is God is taking this life, when we are caught in sin, we must first be honest with God about our sinful state. That we must be honest about the fact that we are in sin. You know, there's a saying, you can put lipstick on it's still a pig. You can sugarcoat our sinful condition all you want, but at the end of the day, sin is sin, and there is no other descriptor to add to it. Caught in sin, when we have fallen short of the glory of God, we're in trouble. And we must be honest with our sinful state. We must be honest with God our sinful state. You see, uh, John Piper remarks about this section of Scripture. The first thing that happens is not the appearance of a great fish to swallow Jonah. Before the fish comes, it is a cry of distress. Even though Jonah knew that he was guilty, even though he knew he deserved death, even though he had surrendered his life to the justice of God, yet in the moment that death was imminent, Jonah remembered that the God whom he had served so imperfectly was still gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and repenting of evil. That's a direct quote from Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. And he cried out to the Lord for mercy. And then the Lord appointed a great fish for Jonah's rescue. Chapter 2 is what Jonah said. So when you read this prayer, as we look at these verses, keep in mind that when Jonah refers to the stress of the past, he means the time in the water, not the time in the fish. The water is the threat of death. The fish is the refuge of salvation. The cry of distress is this past tense of being in the water. The voice of confidence of thinks is the present in the fish. You see, far too often as we look at the book of Jonah, we look at him being trapped in the belly of this fish, whale, whatever it is, right? And we say that is his moment of trial. That is his moment of difficulty. But no, God bringing the fish to him in his sinful, broken state is the moment of refuge for him. His moment of distress was when he is cast overboard into the and begins to wrestle with the reality that I'm not getting out of this. And so we see here in verse 1 of chapter 2, he's in the belly of the fish, and he prays this prayer beginning in verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. 
praise to the Lord. He's looking back on his time in the water before the fish rescue him. And we see this prophet finally cry out. We see him finally proclaim the words of God, the, the truth of who God is. The stress, he's drowning. And in this moment, he cries out, Father, are you listening? You see, he's returning finally to the presence of the Lord. You see, he's been in sin since verse 3 of chapter 1. And it tells us immediately in verse 3 of chapter 1 that he flees to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Tarshish is the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. He is trying to escape from God and his call in his life. And Jonah, here in this verse, is finally acknowledging where his sinful heart has taken him. Away from the presence of God. This, ladies and gentlemen, is what sin does to us. It removes us from proximity or relationship with God. Sin carries us away from the places that we want to be to the places that it desires us to go. That every moment we live in sin is another moment that we are being taken away from the steadfast, abundant love of Christ. And the reality is that, as the saying goes, if you give an inch, it'll take a mile. That is what sin will do. Every inch we give, it clings and scraps and claws for a mile in our life. Why? To pull us away from the presence of God. To pull us away from the abundant love of God. And what is our response in that sinful moment traditionally going to be? We're going to hide from God as Adam and Eve did in the garden. In the midst of our sin, we tend to go, I don't want him to see me. He doesn't need to see me in this state. He doesn't desire to see me in this state. And this moment is why I would submit to you that Jonah may indeed be worthy of the hero of the faith because as he is drowning and living in the midst of his consequences of his sin, rather than hide from God, knowing full and well that he will face some consequence of his sin, he cries out, Father, are you here? Father, I have run from you. I have shamed you. I have not lived in a manner that is worthy of your calling. But do you hear me now? You see, Jonah begins to recover from his sinfulness here. He's beginning to be honest about his sinful condition and where it's taken him. And now, as he continues to pray, he's going to show us how from this sinfulness, this unrepentant sin, into forgiveness by God's grace. You see, as we continue here, he says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. As he's recounting this prayer in the sea, he's crying out in distress. He's drowning right now. This distress is a direct consequence of his sin. Yet, even in his sin, God is answering him. Because he tells us right here, you heard my voice. He's in drowning, and yet, even now, God listens to him. God will have mercy on Jonah before Jonah can even see the mercy that God wants to display upon the people of Nineveh. See, Jonah is just getting a foretaste of the grace and kindness that God is going to pour out on the people of Nineveh. The grace that will make Jonah so angry and upset that he would show this kindness to the people of Nineveh. Jonah is about to experience here. 
Now he cries out from the belly of Sheol, and that's not something we use very often. We don't talk about Sheol very often. Uh, This is Jonah referencing the grave here. Uh, He's talking about the belly of the sea. You see, uh, many ancient Jews believe that Sheol, the place where your soul spent eternity, was actually buried underneath the depths of the sea. So as Jonah's sinking down, what he is saying is physically, not only spiritually am I going to go to Sheol because I've run from God and I've abandoned him, I've fallen short of his glory and I've not repented, but even physically I'm getting here. Physically I'm getting closer to the belly of Sheol. If I can put it in kind of a modern day translation for you, Jonah's saying, I'm as good as dead. I'm as good as dead right now. Yet, in the midst of this, we have this phrase in verse 2, you heard my voice. You see, our God is a good God that listens to the prayer of his people. Our God is a good God who listens to the prayer of his people. God is always going to listen to our prayers. And I would submit to you that he plays a special attention to the prayers of repentance that we make. The the prayers that we cry out to him, and Father, forgive me, for I have not up to your standard you've set. That as we see in the stories of the lost sheep and the prophet, that God is always willing to abandon the 99 to go for the one who has come astray and come back into the family. And so I would submit to you that in this moment, when Jonah cries out to God, God is inclining his ear in a very distinct that he is paying certain attention to Jonah to hear what he says and to know what he is going to do. Now Jonah continues verse 3. He says, For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. There's an interesting turn of phrase here in verse 3. He says, You cast me into the deep. And if you've read this story with us last week, you said, but didn't the sailors throw him overboard? Yes. Though the sailors physically cast Jonah now sees that God allowed it to happen to him. Let's track the story, right? Jonah gets him fleeing from God's presence. He's as far away from God as he can get physically. He's on this boat, and what happens? The storm comes out of nowhere, and these experienced sailors are fighting and wrestling with it to try and keep from going under. They begin to throw things overboard, trying to stay afloat. And then in desperation, they begin the gods that they worship. And the captain goes to the, underneath the boat and into the interior and finds Jonah sleeping. If that's not a man who is willing to deal with the consequences of sin, I don't know that there's another person out there. He's willing to sleep knowing this storm's my fault. This is God trying to get my attention, but I'm going to take a nap right now. And he, the captain tells him, cry out to your God you serve. And he finally tells them, I serve the great I am, Yahweh. And the people immediately know it's his fault. This great I am is greater than our gods. And they finally come to the realization the only way to rescue themselves is to throw Jonah into the sea. Through all, God was orchestrating every moment of Jonah's experience on that boat and in the sea so that he would end up right here. Let me say that again. God allowed Jonah to live his life in such a way so that he ended up here in the ocean 
so that he would be in the midst of this ocean drowning. Why? So that he would call out to him. Often when we are in our sin and we're dealing and wrestling with our consequences of this sin, we say, why did I have to deal with this? Why up with these moments? And the reality is that as we're going through these lives and we're wrestling with this and trying to repent of it, the reality is God allows us to experience these moments of distress and difficulty so that we will draw closer to him. You say, well, God has forgiven me of my sin. Why has he let me to live with the consequences of my sin? Because you still need to cling tight to him in this moment. And so here, Jonah's in distress in his midst of his sin. And he recognizes that God has allowed him to be here. Because he says, you cast me into the deep. Now Jonah sees the reality Sin has consequences. And as we study scripture, we know the wages of sin is death. I mean, that's a direct quote of the first half of Romans 6.23. Jonah doesn't have that scripture yet. He doesn't have that full promise of God. But we know from Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Jonah, but he doesn't know the refrain that Jesus saves. Jonah knows that he is condemned, but he does not know that there is hope for him on the horizon. And here in this moment, his story is about to change. You see, in the story, he's going to begin from, go from being honest to God about his sinful state to now he's going to begin to cry out to God in repentance. This next section of scripture, beginning in verse four, he cries out to God about his sinful condition. Read with me in verse 4. He says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. See, Jonah in this moment has recognized his rebellion against God, and yet he sees the restoration that awaits him after repentance. This driven away from your sight literally means banished. He's been driven out. He's been pushed away. And he recognizes what he did in chapter 1, verses 3 and verses 10, that he fled from the presence of the Lord, intentionally, specifically trying to run from the things that God had called him to. You see, God called him to preach the gospel to Nineveh so that, yes, they would repent of their But he also called Jonah to preach the gospel to Nineveh so that Jonah would yet repent of his sin. And in this moment... Jonah's beginning that process. He continues on in verse 4 and says, Yet I shall again look upon your whole Jonah has confidence that he will find his place before God. This isn't due to his own righteousness, but conviction of the steadfast love of God. See, Jonah's a prophet. Call a preacher. He is the one who goes forth and proclaims the good news that this God who has come to condemn you, yes, he will condemn you and repent of your sin, but if you repent of your sin and cry out to him, he will forgive you. And he has proclaimed this message, and now in this moment, he is what we in the profession of preaching call living his sermon. The words that he is about to proclaim to Nineveh, he has experienced firsthand in this moment. 
And he has confidence that in this moment, as he begins to repent of his sin and cry out to God, that not because of his own doing, not because of his own actions, but because of the, the steadfastness of the one that he has faith in, he will yet again see God's holy temple. That he will yet again, one day, walk on land Now he continues on in verse 5 as he's praying in this moment. Things seem in their most desperate. In verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. These verses are Jonah's cry of death. Right now, I need you to hear his desperation. He is so far beyond human help at this point that he's sinking down into the sea. Five tells us his death is certain, really. Waters drove him. Weeds have wrapped around him like a grave shroud. That he is sinking down further and further. This phrase, the roots of the mountain, shows us he's beyond all human habitation or hope. No man can save him in this moment. That even should one of the sailors change their mind and dive in to rescue him, they could in time. He has been abandoned by everything. This phrase, the bars closed upon me forever. You see, uh, that's a phrase uh, that the Jews use. They believe that when you entered into Sheol, this place of death, that you entered into it through a bars. What he is telling us is this gate has closed on him. He's finished. He's done. He's beyond any hope. I hope, I pray that you hear the hopelessness in these verses. Perhaps you are in the midst of some hopelessness just like this. Maybe you feel that the bars have closed, that the weeds have wrapped around you, the waters are over your head, and there is no way you can go on. That there is no hope before you. You're beyond all human help. There is no one here who can rescue you. And I would tell you that just like Jonah, you're right. There is not a person alive who can rescue you from this moment. But there's one who sits on the throne who can indeed break these bars down and rip those weeds off your body and drive you up from the depths, and his name is Jesus. There is one indeed who can rescue you from these hopeless places, and his name is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so when Jonah cries out in this moment, in his moment of desperation, he sees his life ending. He's in a pit. The bars are closed. There's no getting out. But God interjects himself. We see in the second half of verse 6, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. This is one of those infamous but God verses. There are so many, like Ephesians chapter 2, that we quote but God, and this is one of those moments. The God from whom Jonah thought he was banished had reached down and pulled him up out of depth and despair, showing him that he was still his God. 
See, in verse 7, we see Jonah cry out yet again. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. My life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord. I cried out to him, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You see, in verse 7, we see the prodigal son return. We see him come back. You see, just in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, where the son comes back to the father and he says, I just want to be a servant in your house. I don't want my status as a son. I don't want that inheritance. I just want to be fed from the scraps of the table. And the father looks upon him and says, why would I do that? You're my son. You get everything that is yours because you're my son. In this moment, John is really crying out for anything. He is desperate. He wants to take a breath for another moment. And God, rather than just giving him a momentary reprieve, gives him a lifelong reprieve. See, Jonah has turned back to God in this moment. He's cried out in repentance. He has come back into the fold of God. God has heard his prayer bringing life to Jonah. You see, this passage begins to transition in in story and attitude here in verse 8. You see, in verse 8, we see that Jonah has to confess his sin to God. Jonah confesses his sin to God here in verse 8. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You see, Jonah confesses his sin before the Lord. Now, to be fair, perhaps it's a little bit half-hearted because he does use the third person, those. He doesn't say I. Perhaps he's not quite living up to the, the spirit of the moment. But regardless, there is truth to be found here in how we're to confess. You see, he uses this phrase here in verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols. Perhaps he's referring to those pagan sailors. Perhaps he's even talking about the Israelites of this period. Maybe he's even referring to Nineveh, those who pay regard to vain idols. Now, this idea of vain idols, what, what is that? To put it simply, these are objects of worship that are not God. These are objects of worship that are not God. That is, they look like something that is worthwhile to adore and follow, yet it fails you and leaves you empty and hungering for more. And as we look at our lives, we look at the life of Jonah, we all fall fall victim for this call of these vain idols. There are things that we look after and we follow, thinking they'll bring hope and joy and satisfaction to us, yet, what do they leave us with? Brokenness and a desire for more. You see, as we look at this, Jonah is crying out a truth that we must, as we look around and live our lives, we have to recognize that there is a Christ-shaped hole in our hearts. There is a Christ-shaped hole in our hearts. And we, in our desperate sinful states, try to fill it with anything. I mean, name the vices that people struggle with. Sex, money, power, whatever it is, you insert it. Whatever your thing is that draws you away, whatever your veil is, you try to grab that, this hole more and more and more. And yet, 
You can never fill it. Yet, you can never get enough. And you continually reach and reach and reach for more and more and more. When in truth, the only thing that will fill this hole in our heart is the one who is created to fill that hole in our heart, Jesus Christ. We were created to be in intimate relationship with God Almighty. The Spirit of God was supposed to dwell inside of us from creation on. That we were to walk in relationship and union with God and sin into the world through our own actions. And we've been separated from God ever since, trying to fill this hole that only God himself was intended to fill. You see, as we wrestle with these vain idols, what we are trying to do is fill a hole that we were not intended to fill, but rather we were to submit to the one who could fill it. And his name again is Jesus Christ. That we were to look to him out, Father, I have fallen short of the glory of God, the standard you have set. I have sinned and I need forgiveness. And God in his generous, generous mercy will come in, offer us forgiveness, and fill that hole in our heart. And so what I would ask you today, as much like I would ask Jonah if I him, is what are your vain idols What are you clinging to to fill this hole in your heart? What are you holding on to desperately to bring joy and satisfaction to your soul? All the while knowing there is only one being, one person who can bring that satisfaction. His name is Christ. Jonah continues in verse 8 and says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This phrase steadfast love is referring to uh, the the word in the Hebrew hesed. It's a covenant term for God's unfailing mercy and loving kindness. It could be in fact described as the chief good, that is God himself. You see, idols cause you to forsake the greatest object to worship and enjoy. That is God himself. When we try to scrape after these vain idols to fill our heart, we are rejecting the very thing that will bring us joy and satisfaction, God himself. You see, every second we're willing to settle for an idol, this object of our worship that is not God, we are actively keeping ourselves from steadfast love. Every second we cling to something that is not Christ, we are keeping ourselves from the loving kindness of God himself that will bring satisfaction and joy and hope to our lives. You and I are our own worst enemies here because we keep ourselves from this love. No one has to make us. No one has to force us. We willingly choose something else besides this loving kindness of Christ Almighty. Do not settle for an idol, which will leave you in despair just like Jonah. Do not settle for an idol that will leave you in the pits, that will leave you with death near, when you can have Christ Almighty. Rather, you and I must pursue Jesus, the one from whom we receive perfect love, and the only one who is capable of loving us with a perfect, steadfast love.
You see, you and I have experienced that pain of seeking longing and love. You and I have experienced that burden of wanting to be accepted and truly known. We live our lives being deceived by this world. And as we cry out to God, our Father, Jesus Christ himself is here, having paid the debt of our sin and shame, is offering a perfect, all-knowing, steadfast love. Do you know how incredible this love is? This God of the universe would come down, knowing how sinful and evil we are, would willingly go to the cross as an innocent man to pay for the debt of our sin, and then still through that process, call us his children. You see, if you knew my sinful heart and thoughts and actions, you wouldn't want to be my friend. If I knew your hearts and minds and actions, I wouldn't want to be your friend. Yet Christ in his goodness says, that's all wiped away. Yes, you are sinful, you are broken, you are shamed. That is true. But you are also forgiven, you are redeemed, you are saved. If those are the words that Christ cries out, that is his foundation of the steadfast love that he offers. Though you can run from me to the ends of the earth like Jonah, you cannot escape my loving kindness. That you can be in the pits of Sheol. Death has its claws on you. Yet I can pull you up and rescue you. See, this is why we confess our sin to God. And we do not hide from him, but we call out to him in our sinful moments because he is capable of forgiving. Now, as we confess our sin, we must be like Jonah here in verse 9, and we must call out for salvation. In verse 9, he says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay, and salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, he cries out with thanksgiving over the love of God. He has been answered with adoption under the care of the God who takes on the totality of our sufferings and dramas and situations. He is answered because grace does not fail in any way. And even if there were no visible, actual, and personal sign, Jonah can state that the answer that takes place, because grace has been granted to him from all eternity, you see, in this moment, Jonah rediscovers the grace of God at the very moment that his situation is hopeless. And to all appearances, nothing more is to be expected. You see, God has heard his cry, and Jonah is now thankful for the position that he has before the Lord. Keep in mind that he physically has not been rescued yet. That he is still drowning in the ocean, yet he cries out with thankfulness because he knows he is in right standing before God. He may yet physically die, but he knows eternally he is anchored to Christ. He knows eternally where he will be should he pass from this life to the next. He knows that he is going to be with God the Father. And in this moment, he cries out for thanksgiving, though he is still drowning he says, I have been rescued. See, his words are, salvation belongs to the Lord. This is certainly the key verse of this entire passage, if not perhaps the entire Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, Jonah recognized that he deserved death, not deliverance. He knew then, as we do now, that no one deserves deliverance. That it's an act of mercy by a gracious 
in Almighty God. And as he cries out for this salvation, in verse 10, he receives his deliverance. By God's grace, he receives a physical deliverance. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. The fish caught him in the water. And after experiencing several days in this fish, he's vomited out on dry land. I hope you pardon the usage of a crude word like vomit in here. It's a direct translation from the Hebrew. Uh, But it demonstrates the position that Jonah's in now. See, normally we would think of this moment of someone describing vomit to us as something that is gross and disgusting, right? If you've ever had a child do this on you, you know what I'm talking about. We've all been there and done that. However, if you were Jonah, how beautiful would this moment be? You're covered by whatever may be in the belly of a fish, but you've survived drowning and being swallowed by a fish. Now you've been placed on dry land and you're free. I think you and I would be happy to be covered by vomit in that moment. You see, Jonah moved that, viewed that moment as one of grace. God is showing him grace by placing him on dry land once again. Jonah receives this deliverance willingly, even though it perhaps wasn't exactly what he would have chosen, correct? Jonah, through his prayer here, has truly taught us about what repentance looks like in our lives. See, Jonah has shown us that we should be honest with God about our sinful state. That when we're in the sinful state, we're to cry out to God in repentance. We're to confess our sin before God. We're to call out for salvation. And in doing so, we will receive our deliverance. You see, that process of repentance is intended to place us back into a right position before God. Just like Jonah has experienced, we are to experience his steadfast love once again. That I know for me and my life, I continually need to be reminded of this. That my inclination when I sin is to live in shame and run away from the things of Christ. Yet God in his steadfast loving kindness has never once let me get far. That he has always chased me down. And brought me to heal so that I may follow this process. And my question for you is today, have you experienced his steadfast love? That as we spoke earlier, that perhaps Jonah should be of the Bible because he teaches us how we are to live in light of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That if God is who he says he is, then that means that we are sinful people who have fallen short of the glory of God. That we've lived our lives in such a way that we would not be worthy of salvation left to our own devices. That we have sinned, rebelled against God Almighty. And we have said, we can live this life on our own. We don't need you, Lord. And yet, in the midst of that, God in his loving kindness to walk this earth, to seek and save the lost, that he sent into this world that whomever believes in him would have eternal life, that he did not send him into the world to condemn it, but to save it, that Jesus came, lived the perfect life that you and I could not, and as Hebrew 12 would tell us, went to the cross willingly for the glory that was before him, that yes, he could ascend and be back with the Father. 
but that yes, he could ascend, bringing a family with him. And that family is you and I. And the only way we become a part of the family of God and find a place of belonging, find a place of community, find a place where we can be truly known despite our sins and failings and shortcomings is by experiencing this steadfast love. And we experience it by following this process that Jonah has laid out. That we are honest with God about our sin. We cry out to him in repentance. We confess our sin before him and call upon him for salvation. And through that, we receive our deliverance. That is, we become a part of the family of God. And so today, I would ask you, have you experienced Perhaps you're here and you're not a believer. Perhaps you've heard these words and you think, I don't know that these things apply to me. I don't know that I've experienced his steadfast love because I don't know that I've ever called out to him and been honest about my sin. Well, today is your opportunity to do so. That I will be here up front. Miss Rachel will be here. You'll have opportunity to come forward and confess your sin with us. That we will cry out to God in repentance on your behalf with you. We will confess your sin to him and call out for salvation. Perhaps you're here and you're a believer. And you're living in such a way that you have sin that has not been repented of. Maybe you have run away from the presence of God. Maybe you've chosen things, these vain idols, and they have led you astray. Today is a day where you can come forth and we will do the same for you. We'll cry out to God in repentance. We'll confess our sin before him. We will call out for salvation and deliverance for you as well. That wherever you are, whoever you are, that this process is one you must walk through. That this process is one you must experience. One thing is sure, that in this life, that the steadfast love of Christ will never fail you. The steadfast love of Christ will always be here. So in this moment, the band will come back up. They're going to lead us in a time of musical worship. And we're going to sing of the grace of God. And here in these next few minutes, we'll have opportunity to cry out to God and follow these steps. And what I would ask you is, are you going to be willing to take a chance that his steadfast love is true? Are you going to be willing to trust that his steadfast love will never fail you? That indeed Christ is who he says he is. So I'm going to pray for us and our band's going to lead us musically. And as I said, myself and Miss Rachel will be here. Please come speak to us. If we can pray for you, if we can celebrate what God is doing in your life, we want to be a part of it. And I want to pray that you trust that Jesus Christ will offer his steadfast love to you no matter where you are. That rest assured that even if you are in the depths of Sheol and death has its claws in you, indeed, Jesus can rescue you from that. We've seen him do it with Jonah and we can see him do it with you. So if I may, may I pray for you, for us as we continue to worship in music. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we are grateful for your steadfast love today. We know that in the midst of this moment, we are all in different places on our journey with you. Some of us believe in you, some of us do not. And I pray that no matter where we are, that we could have a level playing field here at the foot of the cross. That is, that we would trust 
that you have offered your steadfast love to each and every one of us. That it is only through your shed blood that we can experience righteousness. And so, Father, I pray today that our hearts would be open to you, that we would respond to this offer of steadfast love, that we would cry out to you for forgiveness, and that we would look forward to receiving of salvation from you. Father, may you open our hearts to be receptive to the singing of these words now. May the Spirit even work in our hearts so that we be able to respond and listen to you truly. Father, we are thankful that you are here in our midst and you're working in our hearts and minds. We pray that you make much of your name in this time. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.